All right, so welcome back to Talk Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osan, and I'm here today with Mr. Jim Faherty. Hello. And we are going to be talking about what are the implications of having or not having knowledge. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is a great subject, and I think there's, you can apply this to so many areas of life, and there's so many relevant examples. Yeah. So maybe I can start with... Um, uh, an example from my everyday life in my work, which is UGC, so University Guidance and Careers. Um, having knowledge, I would argue, is hugely beneficial overall because it allows you to make informed choices. Mm. Now, one example of this is um, having knowledge about a certain university application platform, knowing mm. how to use it, yeah. knowing uh, the parameters. Um, could be knowledge about a submission deadline. Mm. Or it could be about where to find scholarship information. Mm. Now, of course, there are clear benefits to having that knowledge. And on the flip side, there's clear implications if you don't have that knowledge. Because yeah. you might miss out on Just miss things. out on opportunities. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I, I mean, that, that's exactly it. I mean, so making informed choices. It seems to me that there are really not a lot of benefits to not having knowledge. I can't even imagine perhaps maybe peace of mind that like not knowing makes it what you don't know can't hurt you that ignorance kind of is bliss. <laughs> ignorance is bliss exactly yeah i guess i don't know i think in a especially in a competitive environment the more knowledge you have tends to be more beneficial because you can again it's about making a range of informed choices and knowing mm. Um, the outcomes or knowing what the out possible outcomes could be for each of those choices and the more knowledge you have to go into those choices the more beneficial it is for the individual right. um, there are certain circumstances where you might want to be ignorant but even so I think having knowledge uh, in advance before making a choice is still the better option there yeah 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 I mean I'm sure there are times where having knowledge hurts you I mean certainly in there are certainly circumstances. I'll have to think about that a little bit more. Uh, well, one example I could um, pick there is if you look at the admit rate. Now, the um, admit rate for a lot of US colleges is all out there online. You can Google it. It's one of the first things that comes up. Um, and that can be hurtful for students because they'll see that a particularly top university might have an admit rate of 4% or 5%. Yeah. And so they think, well, why bother? Why do I even bother applying sure. here? Because there's no point. I'm never going to get chosen. Yeah. So. That, I guess, depends on the way you um, interact with that knowledge and the way that you absorb that knowledge, but which obviously depends on an individual level. So that could be one way where it, it could kind of hurt you or harm you or uh, dissuade you from taking action. Yeah, that I think could be expanded into so many other kinds of realms outside of just you know, university guidance, but mm -hmm. where knowing something actually harms you because of the way that you're interacting with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think, I mean, obviously in IB, we want to be knowledgeable. So I feel like, you know, that learner profile attribute of being a knowledgeable learner is uh, in the answer here. The implications of having knowledge means you open doors, you make informed choices, you are able to um, interact in a more wise way with the world. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and I think one of the parameters of that is having relevant knowledge. Yeah. Because one of the big issues facing a lot of 17, 16, 17, 18 year olds today in school is 
if they're thinking about global university applications, there is literally the whole world to consider. There's yeah. all the universities. You know, if you look at the US alone, there's about 4,000 higher education institutions, each with hundreds of different programs. Where do you even begin to yeah. start harvesting the information to create that knowledge? Yeah. Um, so in a way, there's an overabundance of information out there. So you've got to be very selective with where you want to gain that knowledge. Mm-hmm. That for a young person, for students, is quite difficult, which is why my job exists. So we yeah. can kind of signpost people to the right info so they get the most relevant knowledge for their situation. Yeah. But the, the, that's definitely one of the issues is that now, um, just in the Internet in general, mm. there's so much info out there. You need to know what your framework of knowledge is that you need to absorb mm-hmm. and how do you get to that? Mm. Yeah, that's, you make a really good point with that, yeah. the relevancy of the knowledge that you have. It's no use in having knowledge about how to, um, you know, edit a mud- motherboard or like, you know, computer knowledge if what you're trying to do is grow plants. Right. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so for the purpose, it makes sense. Um, I was also thinking about kind of to do with the implications of having knowledge, meaning that if you have knowledge, what then do you need to do with that? Do you have like some obligation to others or to the world or to yourself? Does, is there an implication that by having it, we somehow now have responsibility? Absolutely, yeah. And I think of another example, if you go to the most kind of primal, basic example of having knowledge and how it's uh, beneficial or how it's, the implications are beneficial, um, imagine a prehistoric forager goes out and finds a mushroom to eat, right? Um, and he or she bites that mushroom and it tastes good and it gives them a dose of protein and so they can, you know, go until the next meal time. But then there's another mushroom which is poisonous, right? And then that kills that person. So having that knowledge about which food type you choose, that is beneficial and I think there's a responsibility to share that knowledge mm. so that other people can learn indirectly through your knowledge and that knowledge is passed down and of course back in those days you know it would all be passed down via storytelling mm-hmm. and via this kind of oral tradition of sharing knowledge these days we've got other methods of doing it by writing things down or by you know the internet is probably the most clear example and most obvious example but the I think the impetus re- remains the same that it's better for everyone if you share that knowledge Mm. um, and share it through systems where more people can access that knowledge Mm. and that calls into question another thing which is what is the um, uh, I guess the reliability of the source of that knowledge the information is it trusted is it uh, reliable Mm. is it kind of empirically proven and a lot of the times I have students coming to me and saying oh I found out this about a certain university and my first question is where did you hear that and more often than not, it's in the YouTube comments section. Yeah. Which usually or shines Reddit. a light. Oh, Reddit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that terrain. shines a light on, on probably the worst excesses of humanity. Yeah, it places. does, really. <laughs> um, so it, it, it depends where you get that knowledge from. Um, mm. So I guess another caveat is um, how reliable is that knowledge and wh- how do you assess the reliability? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So kind of going back to... The implications of having knowledge. I think a lot about, you know, the university degree as evidence of having gained a certain level of knowledge, um, particularly the higher the education, the higher that indication of um, 
level of knowledge should be. Mm-hmm. So someone with a PhD clearly should have more expert knowledge mm-hmm. um, within the realm that they've studied. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that comes then with more responsibility. That's a good question. Um, I think if we look at it within a certain silo, yes, you have responsibility of the knowledge that you've gained or the knowledge that you've co-created within that area of specialism, Mm. but not anything outside of that. And the example I can think of here is that I used to, um, when I was working for a university in the UK, I used to travel with the academic staff, with the professors and the lecturers, um, and we'd go to visit schools around Asia. And these people were incredibly clever and extremely knowledgeable in a certain area. But oftentimes, these people weren't very good at other things, Mm -hmm. like tying their tie properly or Mm -hmm. turning up on time or interacting very well with students from various backgrounds. So my, my point there is that you can kind of gain knowledge in a certain area, but it only makes you expert in that area and not necessarily transferable to other areas. You do need to have a broad field of knowledge for it to be truly um, useful and fruitful and accessible in life. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the implications is that we want to share it if Mm. we have knowledge. Mm. Um, I think there's still room to talk about the implications of not having knowledge, but um, just going a bit further with thinking about that either responsibility or um, need to share, there's, I think, also a lot of power in having knowledge that either gets can be misused or can be used for, you know, depending on, depending on the who it is and how they're using what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, it can go in either direction, right? So, yeah, I'm thinking about examples of sharing knowledge i was thinking more specifically like when you know in in einstein's time when when they were learning about the way that the atom works and the way that you know and then leading towards developments of technology which now we have and we have these you know atom bombs and that have changed the way that the world works Mm -hmm. entirely um and that's that same having that knowledge then sharing that knowledge um and then the implications of that Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with that, other than that there are implications that are great and beyond ourselves, right? Um, yeah, and that ties into this idea of responsibility. Mm-hmm. When you have certain knowledge, um, which could have a huge effect on a population or mm-hmm. on a certain demographic, there is a responsibility of whether you share it or don't share that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the implica- you have to think through the implications of what sharing it would do or what not sharing yeah. it would do. Um, and I think these decisions or mechanisms are are governed often by um, organizations or institutions bigger than ourselves. So it might be a governmental level, it might be a school level, Mm -hmm. whether you choose to share that knowledge or not, because it could have, it could give someone else an advantage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very competitive world that we're living in and um, often very proprietorial. So uh, I think the default is holding on to that kind of knowledge Mm -hmm. is better for mm-hmm. the individual or for the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to either monetize or, you know, in a crass way, being able to monetize or mm-hmm. gain some kind of um, advantage 
by using that knowledge yeah. to your um, to your benefit, that yeah. often seems to be an, an option. Yeah, and I think the the opposite side of that is to someone else's detriment yes. in a sense. Yeah, and so that is the flip side of not having knowledge is that you are at a disadvantage, essentially. That's right. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, you can see that um, now in the in the war in uh, in Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you look at things like the satellite systems and the radar systems, you know, a very clear example of that and a very basic example, if you will, is, um, you know, if you've got the access to that technology and you've got that knowledge, then you can use it to your advantage to guess where the enemy's position is, mm -hmm. is going to be. If you don't have that knowledge, that's to your detriment, right? Yeah. 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 Real world, big implications of not having knowledge. I, I also like to think about schools because schools are a form of you know, the, the way that we share, one of the ways that we share and disseminate knowledge is through schools and through learning. Um, I mean, I often think about knowledge outside of the classroom. Well, it starts in, you know, kindergarten when you're, you're learning like how to do basic things and how to gain your own knowledge. Um, so the school has a really important role in that sharing and I would say even in the development of knowledge, because without the learning that takes place, we're never going to get to the place where people have the ability to push forward and develop new knowledge. So it's that fundamental role. Um, and that makes me think a lot about um, access to education and that implication of not having access to education as also part of then therefore not having knowledge. So it's that gap between the rich and the poor and that has having a very strong connection as well. Yeah, and I think there is a huge imbalance globally mm. um, between the differences in, in schooling systems and the differences in resources that schools have to to gain knowledge, to foster knowledge, to create co-create mm. knowledge and then to share that among communities. Mm. Um, and that very much is dependent on your location, the economic situation. And that does create huge imbalances. Mm -hmm. um, and so th there's a big um, a disequilibrium about the, the kind of level of knowledge and mm. how much one shares and how much one has to share. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's complicated. There's not really a good answer. I mean, there's been different kinds of government systems that have tried one way versus another way and they're ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. You have like the communist approach versus the democratic approach versus so on. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not really sure that any of them work the way that they're meant to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, with that, with that ideal in mind of like, let's take care of everyone, really. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that we can do about, you know, trying to share relevant knowledge and good good quality knowledge and what do you think we can do about that i think schools and individuals in schools can think about the benefits that it brings to the whole community not just to an individual but the whole community when knowledge is shared mm. um the last few years the perfect example there is um you know vaccine development being able to share scientific knowledge yeah. and scientific findings and data from different countries and different populations in informing how do we advance medicine how do we mm -hmm. actually create these solutions that are, are going to benefit everyone not just individuals or not just the wealthy or not just people in certain countries yeah so actually be having a framework or having um an example where sharing knowledge is going to be beneficial for everyone and seeing that in a very visible way i think that's one way of doing it yeah wouldn't the world have been different if we had that sort of more altruistic intention 
um, in mind about sharing knowledge when COVID began. Yeah, absolutely. Like, guys, let's be transparent. Let's put this out there. Let's all figure out a solution. I think we would have solved stuff a lot faster. Yeah, and I think what we saw was the flip side, was countries getting quite preparatorial and kind of in, inward-minded and um, being quite closed and wanting, obviously wanting to protect the population of people, but at the same time kind of denying that access to shared knowledge yeah. um, and shared resources, which would have benefited everyone because you know we're all going through the same issue together. Sharing that knowledge would actually create um, a faster, more beneficial outcome for everyone in that system. Yeah. Gosh, so that's one of the implications of having knowledge, not having knowledge. I mean, we've seen it in the, in the sense of some countries not having the knowledge to produce vaccines um, and then for, therefore having to rely on other countries, which puts those other countries in a stronger position of power. That's right. To, to you know, make decisions that govern actually the whole world, not just themselves. Yeah, and often those are financial decisions, right? Being right. able to create this knowledge to create certain mm. products like vaccines and then being able to sell that, mm. sell that knowledge or sell the actual product behind it. Um, yeah, it, mm. it still ties back to this idea of this um, hegemonic power yeah. and the imbalance that that creates on a global scale. Yeah, it's difficult when we're talking about this because it starts touching on like, actually, are we talking about having money <laughs> or are we talking about having knowledge? Well, I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's a link. I'd there's love, definitely a link. I'd love Absolutely. to see the person who creates this chart that shows how, you know, uh, access to, to wealth, access to a strong economy, maybe there's a correlation between the amount of knowledge that that can generate. Yeah. Um, and then the implications of that, that I'm sure that would be an interesting graphic to look at. Yeah. I mean, I think it's got to be just like a one-to-one -one correlation, doesn't it? Must be. I mean, if you even think about like higher education, for example, coming back to universities, um, those institutions that are, you know, the highest at the highest level or the highest most revered tend to also be quite expensive as well oh, and yeah. so access to those um does that kind of touch on the same thing like access to education um and that implication of having or not having um that access to the knowledge that's contained within that um opportunity yeah i give another example um like top, let's say, Ivy League universities, mm -hmm. most of those um, offer very, very generous financial aid or financial yeah. um, uh, benefits packages to families who can't afford it. Yeah. However, there was a report recently in the US um, that the majority of low-income families, they weren't even aware of this. Yeah. So the students just did, even the brightest students from their regions, from their districts, they weren't right. applying because they saw the, the f uh, fees, the tuition fees, as a barrier. Yeah. So there's an imbalance there because actually having that knowledge to know that they would have been fully funded mm. as being a great achiever but coming from a low socioeconomic background mm. that, that their fees would have been fully paid for by these universities which have vast amounts of money to yeah. do that that would have changed it complete game changer what but a shame. not having that knowledge in the initial instance creates a barrier and creates this inequality and the reason why that happens is because the schools in those districts, they don't have access for you know guidance teams and guidance yeah. counselors. They don't have access to technology, which students can use to help find these opportunities. So yeah, the system becomes lopsided because of this imbalance in knowledge. Mm. So if we think about knowledge as a resource, mm. um, and we could kind of think about how we are managing that resource and how we're disseminating that resource. What I I I don't know what a good answer would look like. Like how could we make sure that relevant, um, reliable knowledge is being shared. I mean, we, we've got this powerful engine of the internet, but it seems like it's just overwhelming and, and 
unknowable if what is there is really worth knowing. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, I think I tend to agree with you because it, there is so much information out there. And when you don't have signposting and guidance, mm. you don't know where to start mm. looking. And people don't. Right. It's human yeah. nature. When you get overwhelmed by a flood of information, you just freeze. Mm-hmm. It's fight or flight, isn't it? You just think, OK, I'm going to shut down. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. <laughs> but that in itself creates this uh, barrier and this problem whereby if people aren't looking for opportunities or they don't have the knowledge to look for the right relevant yeah. opportunities, yeah. then they're never going to start. And it just is this kind of cycle. Yeah. This vicious cycle. It seems like you really need like people on your side. You need like more than yourself. I'm promoting to... my own job here. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It seems like your job is really important to people who are seeking higher education and, and want to have access to those ways of earning and gaining more knowledge. Yes, but I would say that there is a trend uh, in the last maybe four to five years of these um, online platforms, mm-hmm. which are kind of doing that job of harvesting this information, using algorithms and mm-hmm. using the amount of amazing data that's out there and funneling it into a very user-friendly package yeah. for students, particularly for students um, in schools which don't have the resources or the staff to help them yeah. do that. And portray it as, okay, you know, here, tell us what you're looking for here's some scholarship information, here's the right kind of fit for you, here's mm. what you should be doing, here's how you um, go through those steps. Yeah. So there's actually an increase of um, platforms and companies that are harvesting or mm-hmm. utilising technology in order to benefit students who wouldn't otherwise have access yeah. to this knowledge. Which is great, but there's no doubt that there's a bias implicit with those platforms. They're, I mean, they're certainly funded by something. Yes. Um, probably not the students themselves. So there is, I think what you're saying is very, it it does sound very good and it's a great tool, but it has its limitations as as anything would, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, if you look into the funding model, again, going back to money, look into the funding model, questions have to be raised as to, again, going back to this source, is it ethical? Is it reliable? What is the, um, the, the, where is the source coming from? Mm-hmm. And is that being influenced in any way? And yeah. sometimes it might be, you know, universities who are actually putting the money in for these systems in terms of um, donations and investments. And then they might find themselves popping up at the top of this student's recommended list. Mm-hmm. You know, issues like that, which is clearly there's a, yeah. an ethical uh, question mark raised on top of that. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, it's, not a, it's not a perfect system. But it's better than nothing. Yeah, I think yeah. for a lot of students it is better than nothing. Yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of the same with all these me- methods of disseminating knowledge. It's sort of better than nothing. Yeah, it's maybe not a perfect fix. I remember when I was in school, we didn't have any kind of careers counselor yeah. or anything like that, and we we yeah. had the library. Um, and you know, I think the head of sixth form maybe had a, a chat with us at the beginning of the year, and that was it. Yeah. But everyone felt a little bit lost. So I think definitely having um, something is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So some knowledge is better than yeah. no knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think, like, just kind of maybe wrapping up a bit, unless there was any other things I wanted to add. I was thinking about um, what we were talking about at the beginning with the mushroom and the good one and the bad one. And it kind of goes back to that, you know, the connection with of money and knowledge. But ultimately, the biggest implication is that, like, human survival instinct and, and our, you know, what is it that can help us to not only survive but then be more comfortable be able to thrive um, be able to have the access to the decisions we want to make 
rather than have those made for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you reduce humans down to their most basic algorithm, it's it's exactly that. It's survival, right? We're choosing these different, we're making choices based on we want to survive or we want to thrive. And another layer to that is we want to do the things that make us happy or we want to do yeah. things that we want to do. Yeah. And yeah, it comes from, it all stems from that, you know, kind of binary choice. Yeah. I'm going to choose the thing, this thing that I know is good or that I think will be good for me and my future. Yeah. Um, and having knowledge, even just a little bit of knowledge helps inform that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious about the algorithm of humans. I never thought of it that way. Have you ever but, read, you should read um, Homo Deus. By oh, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. I haven't read that one. I read the other one, the Sapiens. Homo Sapiens. Yeah. yeah. So I should read that one. Homo Deus goes into, yeah, talks about how um, humans essentially are algorithms. Yeah. And animals are as well. And humans are just a slightly more advanced version of animals. But we're still governed by the same algorithm which prompts us to look for food, look for shelter, look for ways of carrying on our DNA. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, everything else is kind of fancy and extraneous. But w- our core issue is that that's what we need to survive. Yeah. That's what the human race needs to promulgate and to propagate itself. And knowing how to do that is at that, that fundamental level. At the level. core, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> implication, not survive. Yeah. Don't have die right yeah, essentially yeah <laughs> yeah just like that seems a bit described a bit um binary but <laughs> all right um yeah thank you so much for meeting with me i appreciate taking the time out of your day to come and chat for 25 minutes with me and my pleasure yeah, really really fascinating especially from the university side so thanks yeah, for my pleasure thank you so much for having me awesome. <laughs>